0: Welcome to The Feast, a podcast where meals make history. I'm your host, Laura Carlson. Now, a few weeks ago, we featured an interview with the experimental archaeologist Farrell Monaco, who runs the Tavola Mediterranea website, dedicated to exploring and recreating ancient Roman dishes. Farrell has worked in Italy for years examining ancient foodways, She's explored the lost bakeries of Pompeii, investigated the remains of ancient olive oil using potsherds. Pretty much she has the dream life. But what I really love about her work is that she takes thousand-year-old recipes and makes them workable in a 21st century kitchen. Now, don't get me wrong, this isn't like using a Vitamix or Instapot to make ancient Roman stews or something. Farrell is 100% into making a historical recipe as authentically as possible, whether that's hand-pounding garlic in a mortar and pestle for hours, or even growing, harvesting, and milling ancient forms of grain. This woman is not about the easy way out. Now, during our discussion, Farrell mentioned a bunch of ancient Roman recipes that she had recreated in her home kitchen. Naturally, We wanted to try a few, too. So, using the recipes from her website, we made up two of the dishes Farrell and I had chatted about. The first was a dish inspired by a poem by Virgil. Turns out, ancient Roman poetry wasn't just about wars and gods and heading down to the Colosseum for a good time. The good old Romans also basically wrote odes to the equivalent of avocado toast. Or, well, given that Virgil's poem was about a farmer's breakfast, maybe more like an ode to oatmeal. We gave the recipe, known as Similis's Moretum, a shot. And I gotta say, it was surprisingly delicious. But Simulus's Moretum, Simulus being the farmer and the Moretum essentially being a cheesy garlic paste on bread, was only the first of the two dishes we made. Now, if you listened to the episode, which of course I highly recommend, you also probably heard us talk about Apicius's Hippotrema, which if you're not up on your ancient Roman cookbook writers, may sound like a bad hernia or something you can tear in your leg. But no, Apicius is perhaps the most well-known of any of the ancient cookbook writers because, well, he's one of the few whose work has technically kinda sorta maybe survived. You'll see what I mean in a minute. From what we can tell from fragments and references in other texts that have survived, ancient food literature, from cookbooks to poetry to etiquette manuals, was a massive part of ancient literature. Virgil's ode about a farmer's breakfast was no odd duck. There were books on bread making, the art of dining, banquets, and my personal favorite, the, quote, Partying Professors in the Third Century by Athanasius. But let's, let's get back to Apicius for a minute and his title of quote-unquote cookbook writer. Now, Apicius was a real guy, or at least all evidence attests to this. Marcus Gavius Apicius lived during the first century AD, largely under the rule of Tiberius. Now, this was the Roman Empire at its height, living its best life, so to speak. And Apicius, well, he was taking advantage of, well, Rome's best life. Because Apicius was what you would definitely call a real dyed-in-the-wool foodie. For example... He was known to have rented a boat and sailed to North Africa just because he had heard the prawns were bigger and juicier there than they were at home. References to his apparent willingness to try anything were legendary, including apparently his discovery that flamingo's tongues were actually quite delicious. So, you see what I'm saying. Yes, he loved food, but what about this cookbook that he wrote? Well... Here's where the old textual record gets a little bit wobbly. By all accounts, Apicius, as I said, was a real guy who really loved food. But that cookbook that eventually bore his name, formerly known as De Re Coconaria, or On Cooking in English, was actually written or compiled about 300 years after Apicius died, which makes it rather hard for us to imagine him actually writing it. So why, why would someone have done this, you might ask? Why would someone have written or compiled this large cookbook and then put someone's name on it who had been dead for 300 years? Think of it kind of like someone writing a cookbook today and slapping, say, Julia Child's name on it, or Escoffier, or Mrs. Beaton, names that carry so much authority when it comes to food. Well, Apicius's cookbook, we think, functioned kind of like that. Even 300 years after his death, some wise soul thought to put his name on it because folks still remembered Apicius as being the man who knew everything and anything there was to know about Roman food. At this point, you might be asking, so what's in this ancient cookbook written by this pseudo-Apicius cookbook writer guy? And given that it was written under a false name, can we trust anything in it? Excellent question. First, written by Apicius or not, De Re Coquinaria remains one of the few cookbooks to survive from that age. And that certainly stands for something. But what kind of cookbook is it? Also, good question. And there's actually some debate here. Some scholars think that the cookbook offers us a good demonstration of recipes that would have been familiar to Romans, if not the wider ancient world, and so can represent a little bit of a time capsule, as it were. It doesn't really matter that Apicius didn't write them. They still are of the age, so to speak. Then there's the other camp. The folk that think De Re Coconaria was less of a Joy of Cooking style cookbook and more like someone's conceptual food thesis. More high-end abstract cooking than standard Roman fare. An equivalent in the modern times would have been something like an El Bulli cookbook, or maybe even a Noma cookbook. Beautiful, conceptual, highly academic, but unless you're investing in some serious liquid nitrogen and some tweezers, the recipes in these books aren't exactly going to be weeknight, get on the table in 20 minutes, family pleasers. In essence, No matter what, it is an ancient recipe that reflected ancient Roman food techniques. So the recipe we were going to experiment with was for hippotrema. Hippotrema seems to have been a category of dishes that was a variation on the old throw it in a mortar and pestle and grind it till you're happy style of cooking that the Romans apparently loved. They use it all the time. And if you did listen to our episode, you'll know that that Maurer and pestle technique was exactly the style of technique that we used with Similis's moretum. But as opposed to that garlic-cheesy combination that we made for Similis, this Apicius version, this Hippotrema, is actually a sweet dish, eaten almost, we might guess, like a dessert. Patrick Fawes, who wrote Around the Roman Table, Food and Feasting in Ancient Rome, compares Hippotrema to a modern Russian pashka, which is this sweet cheese curd, butter, eggs, raisins, vanilla, and candied fruits dish. Today, it's actually traditionally eaten around Easter, largely because it contains all the things you aren't supposed to eat during Lent. Folks also usually eat pashka with a sweet Easter bread. Now, the actual link between Russia and ancient Rome might be very, very minimal, but at least it goes to show you that folks are still eating a variation of these kinds of ingredients prepared in this kind of a way, even 2,000 years later. In Apicius's recipe, or in the De Re Coconaria recipe, there is no sweet Easter bread like the equivalent in Pashka. However, Farrell, when she was recreating the recipe on her website, did include a sweet-spelt biscuit to use as the base for our sweet, cheesy Roman dessert. And well, Mike and I were curious. So we hauled out our trusty Mortarium, aka Mortar and Pestle, opened up Farrell's website at tavolamediterranea.com, and prepared to go back to ancient Rome with Apicius's Hippotrema with defrutum glazed spelt biscuits. Hypotrema in Apicius requires the following ingredients, which is pepper, lavash or lovage, dry mint, pine nuts, raisins, dates, sweet cheese, honey, vinegar, liquamen, or garum, oil, wine, defrutum, or caroenum, which the defrutum is our pomegranate molasses in this case, but also could have been made from grapes, so like a grape molasses. Think of it as a Roman cheese ball. Okay. That you eat with crackers. Okay, so um, the first thing we have to figure out is that hypotrema basically means something that was ground into a paste, into a in a mortarium, which for our cases is, is going to be our hete, which essentially is just a mortar and pestle. So that is going to be our main kitchen implement here. Okay, so you are going to need 650 grams of coarse ground, spelt flour.
1: Okay. Scale on. Hope we have enough spelt flour. I know, right? That's a lot of spelt flour. That is a lot
0: of spelt flour.
1: 46, 48.
0: I'd love to imagine Apicius was uh, measuring with this
1: level of, of precision. Of precision. <laughs> hey, 650 grams. Excellent. And uh, we used up all the spelt flour. Hey! So we don't have to find something else to make with it. Yes. Okay.
0: Alright, ten grams of salt, please. No, I'm sorry, in the is scan. this Roman salt? It
1: doesn't say so. It says uh actually it's uh it's Greek salt. Hey! So it's it's pretty close. It's
0: pretty close. It's Mediterranean salt. Yeah. Alright, ten grams, please. Okay. Ten grams. Okay. Now uh, we use the ricotta. Okay. Uh, four hundred and twenty-five grams of ricotta. Now, this is Ferrante ricotta, so it is a uh, legit ricotta.
1: It's fancy. I'm excited to uh, eventually get into it when I finally figure out how.
0: Man, it is. What an interesting way of... Yeah. Like, there's no... What I love is they don't give you a lid. So, like, what are you supposed to do just, <laughs> if you don't use it all?
1: It kind of looks like this is a 425-gram cup, and they've just put 500 grams in yeah. it and changed the label to... Yeah. Okay. So, turn the scale back on.
0: Turning the scale back on.
1: 425. 425.
0: There we go. Now you're gonna love this. 425 of honey.
1: Seriously? Uh-huh. Okay, here it goes. This is gonna be the most boring radio ever because it's basically gonna pour completely silently. Yep. Yeah, you hear that? That's the sound of honey pouring. <laughs> completely silent. And extremely slow. So there's gonna be About like 45 minutes, minutes of
0: honey pouring.
1: Yep. Oh Yeah. Radio just got better there, didn't it?
0: Also, I, I want to point out that this is mesquite honey, so this is again like a little bit of Southwest flavor here. That Apicius probably would not have
1: probably would not have been available to him no. at his local Whole Foods.
0: <laughs> we didn't get this at Whole Foods.
1: No, but okay, four hundred and twenty-five grams.
0: Okay. Now, uh, half a teaspoon of cinnamon and half a teaspoon of cardamom.
1: That doesn't even seem like that's worth doing. I volumes. Okay, half a teaspoon ground cardamom going in. Woo. Also completely silent.
0: Silent. Silent.
1: Now the cinnamon. Yes? Yes.
0: Okay. Mix the dough. That that concludes the ingredients. You're going to mix.
1: I'm just going to get myself up. Mixing, implement... I'm going to go with a wooden spoon.
0: I think that's a great choice.
1: Get it off the scale here. All right. Ready? I am so ready. This has got layers. It's just, it's interesting. And it's very biscuity because you've got kind of chunks of ricotta, which are kind of like the chunks of butter you'd have in a traditional biscuit. Lovely cinnamon flavor and color.
0: Uh, We're looking for a consistency because you are going to need to roll these out. We're going to need to choose an appropriate Roman cookie cutter. I'm thinking maybe a star, the coyote, cactus. It's
1: kind of like a wolf.
0: All right, so um, it is now time to roll out
1: your dough. Okay, to what size?
0: Uh, Basically, just as thin um, as you can. That's a direct quote. As thin as you can, that will still form into, like, that will take a cookie cutter shape. So I'm gonna let you determine this that she does recommend a well-floured board um to make sure that the dough, which obviously full of ricotta and honey, does not stick to. Also, because there's like no raw egg or anything in there, I'm giving a taste. Do you want a taste?
1: Yeah. Terrible. Is it? Yeah. It's awful.
0: Wow. It's I mean it's sweet, right? There's a lot of honey in it. What do you think?
1: You can definitely like there's a a, a grittiness. Huh. That seems like it's probably thin enough.
0: I think that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Now she used apparently a traditional clamshell shape, which ironically to me looks like a scallop shell, huh. which are, she totally sells in her store. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I was a bit tempted to get. What else we got?
1: We got the the ghost. That's not very Roman. The <laughs> cactus. That's not very Roman. The owl. I guess that's kind of Roman. Owl Minerva. Sure. Or the star. I feel like the star is probably. Should I just do all stars?
0: We didn't change it up. We didn't do them as many kinds of Roman figures as you want. I'm feeling good about the owl, and I'm feeling good about the star. How,
1: How am I cooking these?
0: We're baking them. So, like, on a baking sheet or on the, um...
1: I might just get the sheets so I can transfer them.
0: Yeah, and, um... Do they need a covering? For um, the she actually doesn't mention, I believe, Apicius was not specific about whether or not you needed the slip pad or not. I, just for our ease, I'd say put the slip pad on Like, I don't think we're going to mess up, like, the historical traditionalness of not
1: having... We are already not baking it in our wood-fired outdoor oven, so... That's true. One star.
0: Of Rome. Star of Rome. It'll be like a star of Minerva.
1: What? Just just apply Minerva to everything? Yeah,
0: yeah. Star of Juno. No, yeah. Juno. Star of Juno. Helen Page? Star... Um. Uh, yes. Exactly.
1: Just saying.
0: Star of Jupiter. Yeah. Star of Jupiter. There, that works. Star of Mercury.
1: Those are both planets, but but it works for me.
0: But also Roman gods. So mm-hmm. you know, star of uh, Pluto. I'm sticking with the planets. Star of. You can jump in here with any Roman. <laughs> day I'm, I'm busy
1: making stars. so I got to keep up with your. Star naming.
0: Like, no, they're not each <laughs> each for a different god. I was just going to blanket apply them to a god.
1: I think you should consider the diversity of your star field here.
0: Uh, so we are going with the coyote. It's a so, Sorry, the Roman wolf.
1: You know, I understand it's central to the Roman mythology. It is. That wasn't a joke. It was no, that was themselves. real. That's, that's a piece of history I know. Yeah, do it. Yeah, that's a great... Offset spatula? I'm sorry,
0: I don't think that's historically appropriate.
1: Do you have, like, a... Like, is there a sword that we should be using to lift these with? Or... Roman dagger. Yeah. Like, now? Now is the time you want to <laughs> nitpick about the historical accuracy? After setting our electric oven?
0: I'm Sorry, I, I, I am warmed by the outdoor wood stove that we are enjoying in the middle of Tuscany. I'm sorry.
1: In the distance, the songbirds, the traditional songbirds of Tuscany. Maybe when you're done eating some of the dough, you can put some more flour on the surface here for me.
0: Sure. Oh, it's a very important taster food. The Roman Julius Child has said this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure she did. Good? That's good. Thank you.
0: We're going to need another historically accurate baking sheet and slip pad.
1: Yeah, we are. We might be able to get a few more stars under this one. In the interest of historical accuracy, Mm -hmm. should I just do some squares?
0: Uh, Well, hers were um, a a clamshell, so if you want to cut out a clamshell, that could work. No. Okay. That's That's also cool.
1: I was just thinking like I could do a, a grid of squares quite quickly, and that would accelerate the process.
0: I mean, if you would prefer, I feel like we have enough... We have enough stars, so like if that just like gets the dough used, that also is totally fine by me.
1: Okay, that's two sheets full. Okay. I feel like I'm going to cover the rest of this. Totes,
0: totes, do for it. Because um, they're supposed to bake for 30 minutes, so I feel like getting them in is, is probably not a bad idea. Just remember you need to uh, brush them before you put them in the oven um, with pomegranate molasses. Huh, so they think spelt appeared before the um, appearance of common wheat spelt in the Greek ancient Greek world was a gift to the Greeks from the goddess Demeter. Earliest archaeological evidence of spelt is from the 5th millennium BC on the northeast portion of the Black Sea. Apparently it's a hybrid of domesticated spelt is a, domestic, a hybrid of domesticated te- tetraploid wheat such as emmer wheat and wild goat grass. Okay? So it's a it's a hybrid. Emmer wheat is a type of awned wheat. So it it kind of yielded spelt, but it is indeed older than spelt. And it's thought that that is what is often referred to in... biblical, Yeah, rabbinic literature. Apparently one of the five grains to be used by, um, like during Passover is matzah. But apparently the actual meaning of the Hebrew term is uncertain whether or not that is meant by grain. Actually just refers to emmer wheat or also potentially includes spelt. I see. Likewise, references to Emmer in Greek and Latin texts are traditionally translated as spelt, even though spelt was not common in the classical world until very late in its history. Okay, you will be pleased to know that the next bit is much simpler, but does involve the mortar and pestle, and they recommend or Farrell recommends that we have like a bowl next to it so that like as you mix the things in the mortar and pestle or the mochahette or the moratorium. It's not the moratorium. Stop it. Sorry. Ha ha.
1: Moratorium <laughs> joke. <laughs> You're funny.
0: Ordered you down. are so ready.
1: Just gonna get up. This recommended bowl.
0: Yeah. Now, have you put a uh, timer on for 30 minutes? No. Okay. I'm going to use my little sundial here. All right. So basically, you're just going to pulverize everything and mix everything together. Um, Add the cheese in last. If you're using a mortar, pulverize each dry ingredient individually using your pestle, then transfer it into the large mixing bowl to be mixed together once all of the ingredients have been mulched. Add the cheese in last, either a soft cheese or smashed. Mix it Evenly. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. This is going to be like a little bit of a fun scavenger hunt because there's some random stuff that goes on in here. So we're going to start with things that are going to be the most easy to mince because there's things like pepper, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to mince the pepper. So we are going to start with 65 grams of pine nuts. And while you're over there, you're going to want to get the raisins out as well.
1: Am I? Am I going to want to get the raisins out? Yeah. I doubt that.
0: Fun fact, this also requires honey.
1: How much? Uh, good news, 15 grams. Okay, we may have that. Okay, got ourselves a bowl, bowls on the scale, Going over here. Now, we've got some golden raisins, I assume that will do. Sure. And...
0: And then we've already gotten the dates out, I believe. Yep. So, you want to start with the pine nuts, raisins? Yep. Okay.
1: All right. In?
0: In, grind
1: Explain to me why we're not using our historically accurate food processor.
0: Well, you know that was an option, but I felt like we have a lovely mortar and pestle.
1: Historically accurate Roman scraper.
0: They had spoons.
1: Were they 188 stainless steel? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> okay. Now, 70 grams of raisins, please. Now I want everyone to know these are fresh raisins. We sort
1: of pick them off the raisin tree ourselves.
0: <laughs> well, the equivalent, we've opened a fresh bag of no-name raisins.
1: And uh, they got away from us almost immediately.
0: Well, that's how you know it's a real mortar and pestle. Mortarium. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Alright, 70 grams of pitted dates. Approximately 10.
1: Man, we may not have enough dates.
0: I think that's good.
1: This one, I'm just actually, I'm going to peel it out by hand because it comes out as one mass.
0: (laughs) Okay. Ten cracks of black pepper, please.
1: What's a crack? Like, Like a twist?
0: Like a twist. Yeah. Okay. Twist. I think that was only nine cracks. All right. Celery seed. Half a teaspoon.
1: Good old half a teaspoon. Half a teaspoon's getting a lot of work today.
0: Pickiest love, the uh, traditional measure. Uh, You know, the teaspoon actually comes from a Roman standard measurement. Really? No.
1: Romans, huge tea fans.
0: (laughs) They are full seeds, but they're very tiny. Tiny seeds, put in it. Okay. Teaspoon of mint. Not half, mind you. A full teaspoon of mint. Uh, 15 grams of honey, please. 10 grams, please, of red wine vinegar. Okay. All right, now wait. We, we've got one more thing before we add in all the cheese. Um, and that would be a teaspoon of Vietnamese fish sauce slash Roman Garm. Ironically,
1: I have it out already.
0: I was about to say, oh, you should keep that out, and I didn't want to ruin the surprise.
1: Squid brand. Squid brand. Full disclosure contains no squid. Fish sauce in okay. the house. Just uh, breaking up the fruit masses. It's it's kind of just like a huge ball of raisins in here.
0: Whoa, that smells wild. Uh, Very very vinegary.
1: There's a lot of flavor going on in there. Okay, so uh, cheese?
0: Yes, uh, and basically all the ricotta.
1: All the open ricotta?
0: All the open ricotta and all the unopened ricotta. We want three cups. Oh wow, okay. All right, mix it all up. Alright, do you want to check on the biscuits, because um, they got 7 minutes left, but technically once the biscuits are done and they cool, they go with this.
1: Explain go with this.
0: As in, you take a biscuit, you put some of the hypotrema on it.
1: Yeah, we've got cheese.
0: Okay, okay. Stuff. It is, re- it is time to shape this decoratively. Yes.
1: I was going to transfer it in and then shape it up.
0: I think that's a great idea.
1: Perhaps using the traditional Roman offset spatula?
0: The Romans would be proud.
1: As discussed, they were inventive people.
0: They were. They were. Methodical as well. Great roads. It occurs to me that we may have made the classical Roman version of nailed it here. (laughs) Because if you saw her beautiful cheeky
1: Does it not look like this?
0: It's probably close.
1: Well,
0: what? Really, I'm just looking forward to the uh, ability to just say, nailed Nailed it. it. Which I'm trying to think of what the- uh,
1: The Roman for nailed it.
0: You mean the Latin?
1: Yes, that's exactly what I mean.
0: You know, I I hate that I'm gonna do this, but I might like Google translate this because I just, weirdly enough, that didn't come up when I was teaching Latin.
1: I feel like it'll get you close enough and then you can adjust.
0: Alright, I'm looking up Nailed It in Latin. Do it. Alright, it really doesn't translate that well. What it actually has been translated to is, "is fixed that to the cross. <laughs> Which is, At Begins Elud cruci." <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha. Huh?
1: I feel like there might be a better translation. At Begins Elud <laughs> Yes, clearly. Come on, how can what's not to like about this?
0: It looks great. You you did a, you did a great job. You did a great job. Shall we try? it? Let's eat it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a traditional mm-hmm. Roman knife.
1: Get a nice healthy portion there. Yeah. Chewy.
0: Uh huh. Uh huh. What do you think? It's different. Ringing endorsement. To be honest, like it, it has like a very kind of like 1970s cheese ball taste to me. Like I, I'm given the, the interesting things that went into this. It doesn't really have an unusual taste to me that if you presented this to me at a potluck, a potluck, or, or cocktails and canapes, if you presented this to me like as a, as a cheese dip at a party, I'd be like, well, this is a cheese dip. Like this is a, a spread that one puts on a cracker and, and it's fine.
1: I think the most different thing is the texture of the biscuits, which are quite almost gummy Mm. Um, and chewy, Mm. and if you go a little too heavy on the pomegranate molasses, very kind of sweet. Mm. But yeah, the the cheese is pretty middle of the road.
0: There's pine nuts in here, there's raisins, there's dates, there's...
1: There's fish sauce. There's
0: fish sauce. I mean, I feel like, if anything, I can taste the vinegar.
1: Ricotta also has a bit of a tang to it anyways. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I wonder, because she said to bake the biscuits until... They're like a digestive biscuit texture, and that's certainly not what we did here. Which, like, I I I prefer like a softer biscuit, so like I'm fine with these not being a crack kind of biscuit. Although if that's what they were supposed to be, I feel like we didn't quite get that. Like they could have been in there for a little bit longer then. Interesting. Certainly nothing wrong with it. Mm -mm. It's wild that they don't taste more unusual given what's in them.
1: Yeah given that there's basically nothing that you would recognize as like, oh, obviously you're going to make a biscuit this way, or Mm -hmm. those are definitely flavors you should put in your cheese ball.
0: I'm amazed at how normal the biscuits... Normal. As in, they are not a completely bizarre taste and texture. Like, you're right, they are a little gummy. But again, if you just kind of presented them to me, I would be like, what on earth are these? And what did you flavor these with?
1: Gummy is not my favorite texture. Mm. But it's not... An unheard of texture in this crazy modern world.
0: Mm-mm. And I feel like, yeah, they just have a consistency of like a slightly softer cookie.
1: All right. Well, that was the thing.
0: That is a thing. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, we were surprisingly delighted by how tasty this recipe ended up being. And we actually still had quite a few leftovers of our Hippotrima that lasted for days afterwards. Those spelt biscuits, though, they went fast. Anyway, of course, if you are interested in making hippotrema at home, please visit Farrell's website to volamediterranea.com. Now, carrying on from our last episode on Roman food, we've had a number of comments and questions about our new favorite catchphrase, aka the Latin nailed it. Obviously, the sentiment doesn't translate particularly well, but folks did want to know what exactly we were saying when we were just yelling this in our culinary glory, so here's a brief phonetic guide, just so you can whip this out at appropriate ancient Roman culinary moments. It's adfigens, that's the nailing or affixing bit, elud, that's the it in nailed it, and cruci, which ironically, is to the cross. So it's kind of nailing or fixing that to the cross, makes it sound a little more morbid than you really were accustomed to here in the kitchen. So you can take up that particularly morbid translation of nailed it with Google itself. Again, we have to thank Farrell Monaco for kindly chatting with us about her work and particularly, of course, her recipes. Please do check out her website, which is a repository of all great things that are ancient and Roman and food-related. Again, it's tavolamediterranea.com. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson, with sound mixing by Mike Port. Next week, we're going to take a short mid-season break, but worry not, we will be back, and better than ever, before you know it, with another great meal that made history. I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast.
1: The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.